I invite you to remain standing with me as we read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. He said to the apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When Jesus and his disciples had crossed the lake, they anchored the boat and came ashore. People immediately recognized Jesus and ran around the whole region, bringing sick people on their mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, villages, cities, or farming communities, they would place the sick in the marketplaces and beg him to allow them to touch even the hem of his clothing. Everyone who touched him was healed. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth May the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A man named John Kenneth Galbraith was one of the leading economists of the mid-20th century and served as a political advisor to a number of presidents. And in his autobiography, Galbraith tells a story about how he had come home from work after a very difficult day, and he asked the housekeeper, a woman named Emily Gloria Wilson, to hold any of his telephone calls so that he could take a nap. Well, shortly after he fell asleep, the phone rang. The voice on the other line said, I need to speak to Ken Galbraith, please. And Miss Wilson said, I'm sorry, but he's not available right now. But I really need to speak to Galbraith. It's very important. Put him on the phone, please. Mrs. Wilson reiterated her message. Finally, the person on the other line said, ma'am, this is President Lyndon B. Johnson. And I need to speak to Mr. Galbraith immediately. I'm sorry, Mr. President, but he's sleeping. And he said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up, the president said. I can't do that, Mr. President. I work for him and not for you. He'll have to call you back when he wakes up. Goodbye now. And she hung up the phone. Can I tell you all how great it is to have a sanctuary of laughing people? After preaching to a screen, man, this is awesome. (laughs) When Galbraith wakes up, he asked if he had received any phone calls, and Mrs. Wilson said, well, there was this one that you might want to return. 
And so Galbraith immediately called the president. Lyndon Johnson picked up the phone and said, who in the world was that woman, and how can I get her to come work with me at the White House? <laughs> it's a great story. Um, because the vast majority of us would never have had the audacity to do what Mrs. Wilson did that day, would we? I mean, our world just doesn't function that way. We do not exist in a culture that honors, protects, and prioritizes rest. I mean, for instance, how many of us, when people ask how we're doing, respond by talking about how busy we've been, and then we proceed to list off all the things we've been so busy doing? <laughs> Or how many of us feel guilty for taking time off work, for putting away our emails and our to-do list, especially when we know that there is more work that still needs to be done? How many of us find ourselves saying, you know, after this week is over, or after this project is finished, after graduation, after the kids move out, things are finally going to start to slow down. But deep down, we know we've been saying that week after week, and life only gets busier. And yet, how many of us also found ourselves experiencing a somewhat slower pace of life during COVID? And even though the world is opening back up again, we don't necessarily want to return to the hustle and bustle of our pre-COVID lives. It's why I think that today's gospel reading is quite timely for us, especially as we begin thinking toward the fall and all that we are going to start including back in our schedules again. Because this story reminds us that Jesus sees and values the importance of a rhythm of rest alongside the work that he calls his followers to do. Because even when he and the disciples are surrounded by the very real needs of other people, he says to them, hey, come with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. Now, just verses earlier, Jesus sent the disciples out into the villages to do lots of incredible things. They preach the gospel. They heal people who are sick. They drive out demons. I mean, I can imagine them returning to Jesus so excited about everything that has happened that they just can't wait to tell him all about it. But Jesus' reaction here is so very telling. He listens to them intently, but notice that he doesn't say, what are you all doing talking to me when there are so many more people out there in need? There's a whole world that needs saving. Get back out there. He doesn't say, guys, this is only your first mission. Why are you back so soon? Grab some coffee and let's get back to work. He doesn't say anything like that at all. Instead, he instructs them to rest. And I think the juxtaposition of these two instructions for the disciples to be sent out to do the work of Jesus earlier in chapter 6 and for them to come back and to rest and to be with Jesus later in chapter 6 is significant because it shows us that there is something about the one that must directly impact the other. There's something about resting and being with Jesus that directly impacts the ways in which we are sent out to do the work of Jesus. There's something about rest that allows us to be formed and transformed, to do the things that God is calling us to do, to be the people God is calling us to be. 
After all, did you see what happens right after their time of rest? Just verses afterwards, Jesus and the disciples feed the 5,000 along the hillside with just five loaves and two fish. Something transformative happens in their rest that leads to one of the most amazing stories in the Gospels. I mean, it makes me wonder what might happen if you and I were to just take some more naps every now and then. But in all seriousness, the question we might ask ourselves this morning is, how often do you and I intentionally take time to do what Jesus instructs the disciples to do here? How often do we truly rest and allow ourselves to be renewed for whatever it is that God is calling us toward? Or do we keep going at such a fast pace until we're exhausted and then we crash wake back up and repeat the cycle all over again. In a recent TED Talk, writer Anne Lamott says, I am convinced that almost everything will work again if you just unplug it for a few minutes, including you. And if Jesus were to say to you today, come away to a quiet place, unplug, and get some rest, What would that actually look like? And how can you make a practice of really doing it? Now you might say, Mary Alice, that sounds nice and all, but I just don't have time to rest. Our children are back in the building today, which brings us so much joy. But I can only imagine what the parents in the room must be thinking hearing these words. You have been with your children almost nonstop for the past 17 months. I mean, to get rest sounds great, but how, when, where? Maybe you feel guilty for pausing to rest when there is so much in our world that needs to be done. I mean, how can we rest in light of the injustices and inequalities in our world? How can we truly rest when the forces at work against us seem so relentless? I can relate which is why I was especially intrigued to see an encouragement to rest somewhere lately that felt completely out of place. It was actually at the Brianna Taylor exhibit here in Louisville at the Speed Art Museum. I wonder how many of you got to visit that exhibit earlier this year. I went with Robin Ramsey Lee to the exhibit, which was entitled Promise, Witness, Remembrance, and reflected on Brianna Taylor's life, her killing in 2020 and the year of protests that followed both here in Louisville and around the world. And there were incredible displays, stunning photographs and moving works of art throughout the exhibit, including this beautiful portrait of Brianna by the same artist who painted the official portrait of First Lady Michelle Obama in 2016. But one thing that especially caught my eye in the exhibit was this small sign in the corner of the room. I wonder if any of you all saw it. It said, as you move through the Promise, Witness, Remembrance exhibit, you might feel the need for a moment of care or a moment of rest. And if that were the case, you could text the word rest to the number provided and received a guided meditation from what was called the NAP Ministry. Now, I don't know about you all, but I had never heard of the NAP ministry. As a minister, I was ordained to the gospel ministry, but for a moment, I wondered if I had chosen to go down the wrong path. 
because being a minister of naps seemed pretty sweet. But I also wondered, just given the focus of the exhibit, you would think there would be not an invitation to rest, but an encouragement to get to work. I mean, shouldn't there be names of local justice groups with whom to partner and come alongside, places to donate money, ways to join the resistance? Until I kept reading on the sign that day and realized the irony of it all, that to rest in the face of injustice is, in fact, an act of resistance. I learned that the NAP ministry, as it is called, was begun in Atlanta, Georgia, by a young black woman named Trisha Hersey as a prophetic act of resistance against the despair she was experiencing. In 2013, Trisha had just begun seminary at Emory University, and the pace was rigorous. She would wake up at 3 a.m. to study leave her apartment by 6 a.m. for her 8 a.m. classes, and sometimes she wouldn't get home until after midnight. Trisha was also a single mom at the time to her six-year-old son, and all the more challenging was the fact that Trisha said she felt unseen and unheard among her mostly white peers at Emory. The news of police brutality against black people only intensified her weariness, She became active in the Black Lives Matter movement and a key leader on the front lines in Atlanta. One day she was robbed while walking home with her son, losing all of her class notes, all of her research, and her very first sermon, which she was supposed to preach two days later. At that point, she said she was ready to quit and give up school. And instead, she started napping. She napped in the campus quad. She napped in the library. She napped in the upholstered balcony pews of her seminary chapel. I was healing, she said. Naps really saved my life in that way. Trisha talks about naps the way some people might describe a spiritual experience because for her, that's what they are. Sleep is such a vulnerable place, she says. You can have space to talk and to vent, to hope and to dream. You can work things out that you can't work out while you're awake. The idea inspired her to begin to research rest as both a healing mechanism for trauma and an act of resistance against oppression. She writes, I began experimenting with these ideals as a way to connect with my ancestors to honor my body via rest for the rest they were never able to embody. This was about far more than naps. Soon she began to provide local justice groups with various meditations and nap talks like the one she provided for the Speed Museum this year. Today, she writes, we must resist these toxic systems that want us to be disconnected that want us to work 80 hours a week, that want us to feel like we're not worthy unless we're constantly producing something. She says, I want to uplift that when you're sleeping, you are actually doing something. You're honoring your God-given body. You're giving your brain a moment to download new information. You're disrupting toxic systems that work around you by reclaiming rest. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus somehow knew the same. Jesus knew the powers and principalities that he was up against. 
Jesus knew the constant needs of the world around him. And yet, perhaps as an act of resistance that may have even seemed foolish to everyone else, Jesus stopped to rest. And he instructed his followers to do the same. And so may we too find rest in whatever ways we can, whatever times we can, as an act of resistance against whatever it is that we're facing as a reminder that we don't have to do it all on our own. Because the God who causes the heart to rest after every single beat, is the God who calls the sun to set every day without one single exception, the God who makes the ocean tide to go out and lungs to exhale and animals to hibernate and the leaves to change in the fall and fall into the ground, Friends, this is the same God who invites each of us to lean into the sacredness that is rest. To be still and know that God is God. To be still and know that God is. To be still and know. To be still. To be. Friends, may it be so of us. Amen.